1970, Allie McGraw and Ryan O'Neill starred in what the American Film Institute lists as among the ten most romantic films ever. It was Love Story. There was a line used twice in that movie which has been quoted ad nauseum over the years. In fact, it's numbered number 13 on the Institute's list of top 100 most quoted lines from movies. You remember what that line was? Love is never having to say you're sorry. Over the years, that one line has started a whole industry of comics in the newspapers, figurines, posters, plaques. Two years after that movie came out, in 1972, Ryan O'Neill was in another movie. This time, the actress was Barbara Streisand. The movie was What's Up, Doc? At one point in the movie, she bats her eyelashes at him and says, Love is never having to say you're sorry. He looks at her and very deadpan says, That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Two weeks ago, my message was very simple. God loves is love, and God loves you. A day or two after that, I happened to be listening to the radio, and I heard part of an interview with Ali McGraw and Ryan O'Neill. Apparently, they're in a new movie or play or something together. And in the interview, the interviewer eventually brought up that line, and they both seemed somewhat embarrassed that they ever said it. I think it was Ali McGraw who mentioned she still gets people who will come up to her on the street and quote it to her as if it's the wisest thing they've ever heard, and she inevitably says she answers, that's stupid, it's nonsense. It's only a four-letter word, but love is probably one of the most complicated, overused, misused, abused words I know of. Because of that, it's lost most of its meaning, because depending how we use it, It can mean almost anything. We use it to describe our favorite candy, since we just had Halloween, or ice cream, our favorite sports team or restaurant, a song, a person. You watch an award show like the Grammys, and the the actor or the singer comes up on stage and says, I love you, I love you all, people they've never met and never will meet. What do they really mean by that? Isn't it just another way of saying thank you? We talk about falling in love. But we don't fall in love. We grow into love. It's something to be nurtured. Falling relegates it to something that you have no control over. Something that comes and goes. But God is love. God loves you. His love transcends your feelings. It's something that grows within us as we get to know one another. So many go out searching for love, but because of so many strange ideas, they really don't know what to look for and often settle for something far less. Part of our difficulty is that unlike Greek, which has four different words for love, we have only one. So we try to make it mean so much. If you really stop to think about it, doesn't it cheapen your feelings towards a person when you use the same word to describe your feeling toward them that you use to describe how you feel about a pair of shoes? Maybe that's part of the reason we're so confused about it. 
The verse we looked at two weeks ago simply said, God is love. He defines it. God loves you. Jesus is God's expression of himself. Love incarnate. And throughout scripture, it's people, not things that are the object of his love, which is why Christ died for you and I. Compare the world's description of love with God's. Love is patient, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others or or it it is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, in looking through my files this week, I came across an article from the Honolulu Advertiser from several years ago. Um, this particular article was around Valentine's Day, a day we set aside to draw attention to love. But the article points out how hard it is for florists at that time of year because they have to write so many bad poems and deliver them to people. The article starts, pity the florists, we come, we come up with really bad Valentine's Day poems and they have to write them, then they have to sign them Pookie Woo, or your big Italian stud, or the penguin. When Steinfeld and his girlfriend called each other Schmoopy, florists had to listen to it on Valentine's Day and write it over and over again. The article then went on to point out, that the lack of originality isn't the only problem. Try spending a day writing out customers' bad poetry, such as, life can be lonely and treat you like crud, that's why I'm so happy you're my bud. (laughs) Or, yes, you are the one who hogs my time, and I also want to wish you a happy Valentine. And then there was the man who wanted the card made out to, my little onion booty girl. When asked what that meant, the man said, every time I look at her, it makes me cry. (laughs) Another wrote, Mark, the only object of my true affection. P.S., if you show this to anyone else, I'll beat you up. (laughs) Then there was the guy who bought three sets of roses, one for his wife, one for his secretary, and one for his girlfriend. Imagine the trouble the florist could have caused for this man if they got him mixed up. And then there was the woman who wrote, My true love brought me flowers tonight, and I'm all smiles and song. I guess I'm doing something right, or he's doing something wrong. (laughs) Whether it's for a friend, or a child, or a spouse, through bad but sincere poetry, or flowers, or chocolates, or thoughtful actions, love must be expressed. Because in the end, it's not something we watch on TV or read in a novel. It can't be bottled up. It has to be manifested. And others will know that we love them not by what we say so much as by what we do, which caused someone to say, love isn't love until it's given away. And the Bible is very loud and clear. God loves so much he gave. God is love. Jesus or God loves you. That's why John Stott said, if you're looking for a definition of love, don't go bothering looking in a dictionary. Look at Calvary. 
Jesus said that's how the world's going to be able to identify us as his follower. Or as the old chorus put it, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, it is the fulfillment of the law. God is love. God loves you. But what does that love look like? After all, that's how we're supposed to be known. Where do you draw your understanding from? Or more importantly, if you're a parent, where are your children going to get their understanding from? What is love? A group of eight-year-olds were asked that question. They had some interesting and, at times, extremely insightful answers. One said, love is the very first feeling you feel before all the bad stuff gets in the way. Another said, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends even after they know each other so well. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. (laughs) Love is when someone hurts you and you get so mad but you don't yell at them because you know it would hurt their feelings. Some children can be really insightful. Love is what makes you smile even when you're tired. Another said when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different you know that your name is safe in their mouth. I know I've pointed it out before, but it's worth hearing again. The Bible doesn't define love so much as it describes it. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is, a description. Since it's a description, when you read it, you should think of examples of what it looks like. So when something has to be done, are you willing to take your time to deal with the mistakes which come from teaching your children New things, or do you just do it yourself because it's easier and you're sure to get it done the way you want it? Or what happens when your spouse tells you they're going to do something and forgets again? Paul says, love is patient. Literally long-tempered. Patience means you're willing to be inconvenienced by others. New activities require patience because we learn as we make mistakes. What about when you see someone having a hard time? Or maybe just they're not able to keep up with things. Do you think, well, that's their problem? Or, I can't be bothered, I have my own stuff to do. Or do you offer to help? Paul says love is kind. John MacArthur makes, points out that when patience takes, others, takes anything from others, kindness will give anything. It deals with being gracious and generous, being useful and serving. Kindness works to the other's benefits. It's evidenced in the way we act and treat them. If someone you know, maybe a coworker or a neighbor or a spouse, gets attention or gets accolades or a raise or a promotion that you were passed over from, can you rejoice with them or do you feel hurt and complain? And yet Paul says, love does not envy or it's not jealous. It's willing to give others space to rejoice and enjoy their accomplishments as much, if not more, than its own. When you get together with others or in a conversation, do you want to always be the center of attention? Talk about what you've done, what you've accomplished, playing games of one-upmanship, but Paul says, love does not boast. It's not conceited. It doesn't brag. 
Boasting tries to make others jealous of us, to draw attention to ourselves. But love doesn't have to be the center. Are you able to see your own faults and failings? Or are you always comparing yourself with others, putting them down behind their back so you can feel better about yourself? And yet Paul says, love is not proud. It's not arrogant. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. How often do you ask your spouse, please, or say thank you to your children? Do you show more consideration towards your co-workers or strangers than you do to your family? Why is it at home we detract in ways we never would when we're outside? Paul says love is not rude. Or as the New International says, it doesn't dishonor others. Do you think only of your own needs and wants before others? Getting upset if you don't get things your way? Love is not self-seeking, Paul says. It's not selfish. How do you act when things don't go as you want them to? Sometimes we never let go of past wrongs we felt. And we just go looking for a fight, going to turn whatever someone says against them, interpret it in the wrong way, bring up the past as a reminder, and yet love is not easy angered. And it says, love keeps no record of wrong. Can you let go? Originally was a bookkeeping term, referred to keeping a ledger, a permanent record, to consult whenever you needed. And yet Paul says love doesn't do that. If your child starts to get mixed up with the wrong crowd or hurtful things, do you close your eyes to it? Pretend that it's none of your business because you don't want to upset your child? But love does not delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. Do you give your loved ones benefit of the doubt Thinking of them first, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Paul says that kind of love does not fail. What is love? It's not just words on a page. It's something expressed. 1 John 3.18 says, let us stop just saying we love each other. Let us really show it by our action. And here again, we may be able to learn something from the insights of more eight-year-olds. Love is what is in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. If you want to love better, you should start with a friend you hate. When you tell something, someone something bad about yourself and you're scared they won't love you anymore, but then you get surprised because not only do they still love you, they love you even more. When you love somebody, your eyelashes go up and down and little stars come out of you. You really shouldn't say, I love you, unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot because people will forget. I know my big sister loves me because she gives me all her old clothes and has to go out and buy new ones. I let my big sister pick on me because my mom says she only picks on me because she loves me. So I pick on my baby sister because I love her. (laughs) Dostoevsky said, to love a person means to see them as God intended them to be. That's God's love. That's how God sees you and I. And who but God can really love this world, the real world, with its crime and terror and immorality and brokenness? And yet, God is love. 
God loves us. For God so loved the world, not just a part of it, Scripture says, not just one group or nation, not just those who are good or like us or who go to church or who haven't hurt anyone, but God loved the world. And he showed it by giving his only son that whoever believes in him, Scripture says, should not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love really is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay ours down for our brothers. We can be tempted to make a distinction, to love those like us, or at least those we consider acceptable. And we can have a hard time loving those who are different, and yet the Bible says God loves all of us. This is how God showed his love among us, John says. He sent his one and only son that the world might live through him. If God is love and God loves you, then that description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is a description of God and how he shows his love for us. And so it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to make a small change in the wording in that passage to read, God is patient, God is kind. God does not envy and does not boast and is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. Sometime back, the Billy Graham magazine decision ran an article that read, I remember when I was five or six years old having a big writing tablet on which I could do block printing. One day I took a sheet of tablet paper, folded it in half, and wrote, I love you, on the inside. I put my dad's name on the outside, covered the sheet with hearts, and set it on his dresser. I had made a Valentine for him, and it wasn't even Valentine's Day. Eagerly, I anticipated what I thought would be an enthusiastic response, but it never came. The next afternoon, I discovered the Valentine in the trash can. This has to be a mistake, I thought. He must not have seen it, so I pulled it out and carefully stood it up on the center of his dresser. My heart was pounding the next day when I checked the trash. It was there again, crumpled with some other papers. He must not have liked it, I thought. Or maybe he didn't see it. So I smoothed out the creases as best I could and once again placed it on his dresser. I made sure it was very conspicuous so that this time he would certainly see it. The next day, my dad called me to him. I remember feeling very shy. Will you quit putting that note on my dresser, he demanded. I already know that you love me. When I became a Christian... I thought about finding that love note in the trash and about how hurt and angry I felt. Why hadn't my dad reached out in love to me? Then I thought about Jesus. Jesus had put a love note on my dresser. He had written my name on the outside. And on the inside, it said, I love you. It wasn't written in pencil, though. It was written in his blood. It cost him his life to send me that love letter, I'm glad I didn't crumple it up and throw it away. What about us? How do we treat the love of God? Scripture says it's seen in how we treat one another, not just the words we use. God is love. God loves us.
And therefore, God calls us to love one another also. That first, we have to respond to his love. The invitation, like that child's letter to her father, has to be received and accepted, written in the blood of Christ. And as we take the invitation, sing the invitation together, it's an invitation if you have not accepted the love of the father. He stands waiting with open arms to welcome you. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as we stand together to sing, it is our time of invitation. If you need to receive and welcome that love into your life, we invite you to come to pray with you here at the front, or perhaps it's to follow through on that commitment you've made, but need to take the next step, whether it's baptism or uniting with this church as we seek to serve and love him together. We invite you to come as we sing together.